Good morning, gorgeous. How are you ladies doing this morning? I hope you're all doing wonderful. First and foremost, I just want to welcome every single person to my podcast. My name is Dr. Michelle Daff, and you're listening to A Feminine Impression Podcast. I want to say happy Resurrection Sunday to each and every one of you ladies. And I hope that you know the importance of Christ Jesus giving his life on the cross for you, my love, to be able to have eternal life, to be able to have a relationship with God once again, and the kingdom of heaven to govern your life forever here on earth. I thank each and every one of you who watches me on YouTube and also follows me on my Instagram page, A Feminine Impression, and my personal page, Dr. Michelle Daff. I just want to say thank you for reposting my content, sharing my content, and supporting me in that way. I am so, so grateful for each and every one of you. So today we're going to be talking about the Esther Anointing Book. As you know, this is something that we've been doing on my YouTube channel, and I'm posting the live audio here on my podcast so that you ladies can also have an opportunity to join in. On today's chapter, we are talking about awakening to your destiny. Every single one of you beautiful ladies were in God before the beginning of the earth. And God placed you here at this very moment in time for a specific purpose. And he has not only ordained all of your days, but he has a plan on how to get you to your destiny. Each and every one of you beautiful ladies has an assignment. And until you find it, you will always be searching. You will always feel unfulfilled. You are not made to just pay bills and die to do the same thing over and over every single day. You are here for influence and you are here for a purpose. You will only know why God created you, why he allowed the things that have happened in your life to happen, why he has called you at this time in your life when you contact him, when you develop your relationship with him, when you ask him, when you fall in love with him then you will know. So in this chapter, we're going to talk about awakening yourself to that destiny that God has for you. Remember, this book is called The Esther Anointing, and it's written by Michelle McLean Walters. All the information from the book will be listed below in the information box so you can look there. So go ahead and sit back, relax, get something to drink, get something to write with, and let's talk about this. Hey, hey, hey. Hi, ladies. Hope you ladies are doing fabulous. We're here to talk about the Esther anointing. And we're talking about awakening to your destiny today, the destiny that God prepared for you in advance before you even got on this earth. Welcome. As you know, ladies, before you were ever born into this earth, before you were ever even knit in your mother's womb, God knew you and he had a plan for your life. And as we're awakening to our destinies, it's important to be able to know that you're not a scientific accident. You weren't just dropped here randomly. You are loved and important and you have a mission assigned to your life. So we're going to talk about that on today. 
So I'm going to first talk to you about a little bit of backstory for those of you who are just kind of joining. I'm just going to give a little analogy just so you can understand in the smallest bit what God prepares for you in your life. So just imagine that you were dating this great guy. You know, you ladies like talking about these <laughs> these high value men. Say you were doing an online dating, right? And you're dating this high value man who lives in another state and you've been dating him for years and it's your birthday. And he plans this grand birthday for you. He plans a spa day. He plans outfits for you. He gives you a scavenger hunt. All of these surprises. He has a whole itinerary for you. And all you have to do is show up for it and actually follow through and you get everything that he has arranged for you. That is sort of the scope that God sees you in. Before you were ever born, before you even were a thought in your parents' mind, whoever you were born to, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. God had a plan for your life and he knitted out perfectly. He knew you. He had plans to prosper you and not to harm you. So even if you've made lots and lots of mistakes in your life, which we all have, he still has plans that he's going to redeem you from those things that you've done and exalt you into the position of queen, the queen that he prepared before you were born. And this is why God hates abortion, by the way. This is exactly the reason why, because he created this entire plan before you were even born, before you ever came onto this earth. And so that is a plan that's been aborted, a plan that's been taken into the destiny of, you know, someone else, because now someone else has to do whatever he planned for another person to do. So it's really important to know that there is a divine itinerary that you have and you are here for a reason. You have to know that there's already something in place for you. You just have to take the leap of faith and step into it and know that you are God's daughter. He loves you so much and you will be redeemed. Give a little backstory for those of you who don't know about the book of Esther. You don't have a Bible. You've never read the story. I want to give you where we are now in the story of Esther. Esther was a young orphan girl who was raised by her cousin Mordecai, and she was taken to go to the palace to be able to pretty much audition to be queen. And she was given a lot of favor because of God. She was a Jewish girl who had to conceal her identity. So she didn't tell anyone that she was a Jew. And she ended up being chosen as queen. She had to go through a whole year of beauty treatments and preparation. And when she finally became queen, everything was going perfect. Everything was going great. She was settled into her position. No one knew about her identity. But her cousin Mordecai would sit at the city gates. He was an official who would just make sure she was doing okay. So even though she left his home, he always kept an eye out for her and he was her guardian and her mentor. And one day he learned of a plan that there were people that had planned to kill the king and he heard it because of where he was. And so he got it to Esther and they were able to warn the king and the king ended up doing something that led to lots of other things. So I want to read from the Bible. I'm reading Esther chapter 3. After all this took place, King Assyrius honored Haman, son of 
Datha, the Agagite. He promoted him in rank and gave him a higher position than all of the other officials. The entire royal staff at the king's gate bowed down to him and paid homage to Haman because the king had commanded this to be done for him. But Mordecai would not bow down or pay homage to Haman. The members of the royal staff at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why are you disobeying the king's command when they had warned him day after day and he still would not listen to them? They told Haman to see if Mordecai's actions would be tolerated since he had told them that he was a Jew. Now when Haman saw that Mordecai was not bowing down to him and paying homage, he was filled with rage. And when he learned of Mordecai's ethnic identity, Haman decided not to do away with Mordecai alone. He planned to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the Hesarius kingdom. So because Haman had so much anger inside of him, he wanted to make an example out of him and destroy all of his people. Now, there is question as to why Mordecai chose not to bow down to Haman. And there is some speculation that perhaps because he was an Agagite, there was tension between the Jews and his group of people from way back when, when King Saul was king and he was told to completely annihilate the people and he ended up disobeying and then being stripped of his anointing in that sense, there was tension. So that could be one of the reasons why. So what ended up happening was there was a decree that was put out after Haman asked the king if he could do this. He asked the king and the king said, okay, and Haman said, you know, I'll even pay for it. I'll, I'll pay, I'll fund it but I want them all killed. And the king agreed to that. So there was um, letters sent out and the Jewish people found out that there was going to be a genocide. And so they were stressed. They started praying and fasting and Mordecai put on sackcloth, which is what they wore when they were fasting and he tore his clothes. So back in that time, a sign of showing that you were fasting or showing that you were in a repentive state, you would tear your clothes. So he tore his clothes. And when you are wearing that, you cannot go into the palace. So he wasn't able to come in. And Esther was wanting to know what was going on with him because she sent new clothes to him and he refused to put them on. So she was getting a little bit worried. So Esther sent one of her eunuchs to go and inquire like, what's going on with him. How come he's not coming back to the king's gate? And Mordecai told the eunuch, everything that had happened, as well as the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the slaughter of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued at Susa, ordering their destruction, so that the eunuch might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and command her to approach the king, implore his favor, and plead with him personally for her people. All the royal officials and the people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches a king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned, the death penalty. Only if the king extends a golden scepter will the person live. I have not been summoned to appear before the king for the last 30 days. Esther's response was to Mordecai. So she hadn't been asked to come to the king and you would think, okay, she's a queen. 
Why can't she go and just talk to her husband? But even though she was a queen, she still had to be summoned. And we don't know why she hadn't been able to see the king. If there was tension, if there were problems, or if he just hadn't, she lost favor with him and he wasn't interested in her coming to him. Because that's pretty much a whole month. So she probably felt like, okay, I haven't even seen him. I definitely can't just approach him. So Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, liberation and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But you and your father's house will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found at Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or nights. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it's against the law. If I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had ordered him. So, as you can see in this situation here, Esther was in a very very serious predicament. She had not even revealed that she was Jewish. Her husband didn't even know that she was one of the people that were going to get annihilated, slaughtered. And so she had to reveal that and then also approach him without being summoned. That was a death wish. And so she had to take on courage and seek counsel to be able to say, okay, I will do it. And there are so many messages here, and we're going to go into that. But I want to read what the book says. I just kind of wanted to give you that background because it was so important to understand the dynamics here. As someone who was living comfortably, being queen, having her secrets to herself, and then having to make this huge life-altering decision that she was not prepared for. So in the book, on page 49, it says, you must understand that this was not as easy as one, two, three for Esther. This was not the direction her life was going to up until this point. She was a young orphan girl living in a small town with her cousin Mordecai. When she hears the king was searching for a new wife and she had to be one of the candidates. Esther was taken from her home and commanded to live in the palace, undergo 12 months of beauty treatments and spend one night with the king to see if he would like her enough to make her his queen. Because of God's favor, she was pleasing to the king, and he chose her for his wife. I'm summarizing this here because we have to get into Esther's head a little bit to understand things from her perspective. She was practically a sheltered girl who now had the future of her people resting on her shoulders. The decree to have all Jewish people exterminated was a turning point in Esther's life. Would she cower in fear and continue to be a powerless victim of circumstances, or... Would she be true to herself and her people and exercise boldness and courage to become an instrument of deliverance in the hand of God? So as you're seeing here, she had to make a very serious decision. And this is something that comes up a lot when people rise into certain positions in life, whether it's a position that they strived for or a position they just got put into. And then they have to be responsible for the people that they once were. So this could mean maybe you were working a job and you got promoted to being at the top. Maybe you're the CEO or maybe you're just 
a lot higher than you were when you initially started. And now they're doing things to the people who you used to work with and they're making new rules for them and stressing them out. And you think, well, I'm not them anymore. You know, this doesn't apply to me anymore. And you kind of have to remember that this was you at one point. Or for some people, it could have to do with your race. Maybe you're somebody who, like Esther, was hiding or concealing your identity. And you realize when you get to another position in life that they're doing things to the people who you identify with on a social level, on a racial level, and you have to make a decision. You may think, well, I used to be, I used to be broke, but I'm not broke anymore. I used to live in the hood, but I don't live there anymore. Why should I care? Whatever it is, it's like separation from the person that you used to be now that you've been exalted into a new position. And so that's why Mordecai makes a statement like, don't think that just because you don't say anything that you will keep your life. Because as you know, when it comes to these kinds of things, no one is exempt from it. And once people figure out your identity or once they start to identify you with that group, you are treated no differently. During those times when we were having those racial riots and all of those racial tensions were happening, they still are. But I'm talking about last year. There were so many rich, wealthy people and celebrities that were coming out to say, hey, this is still happening to me. Even though I'm a multimillionaire, I'm still being treated the same way as I would if I was living in the urban community. And even though you would think that things are different for me, they're the same because I'm seen in the same lens. So maybe I do need to speak up. And so it just kind of shows that no matter what, God puts you in positions of influence for a reason. And you can't turn your back on who you were just because you don't feel like you can identify anymore or that you'll be found out. So in the book, this was indeed Esther's defining moment. A monumental decision. It was an act of her will. She wasn't forced. She surveyed the situation, evaluated all the teaching, training, treatment, and favor given to her. And when posed with a challenge from her mentor, Mordecai, she made the bold statement, I will go. What would cause a Jewish orphan, a virtual non-entity, to lay down her life for others? I believe she had an awakening to the call of God. Only a call of God would motivate a person to say, if I perish, I perish. Esther did not have to sacrifice herself in this way. She was a queen now. She had many privileges and comforts. Why should she give all that up? Esther was compelled to risk her life. This divine drive came from a place of her personal conviction that she was placed in the position of queen by the province of God to save her people from total annihilation. I want you to think about that. And whatever defining moments you have had in your life where maybe you've sat back and thought, maybe God has allowed me to be in this position, whatever it is. It could be a job position. It could be a family position. It can be a special opportunity that you have. Whatever it is, maybe God allowed you to have that position for a reason, not just to be able to enjoy it and relax in it. And of course, he wants to do that too. But there's purpose behind everything that God does. And one thing that's also important that was kind of glossed over a little bit was Mordecai when he made a statement that don't think that God will not use someone else is basically what he was saying to deliver his people. God will get his purposes accomplished. 
That is something that should give you confidence as a person. That when God is pulling on your heart for something, he is going to get it done, whether it's through you or not. So if you're feeling like, I know God wants me to open up the school for little girls, or I know God wants me to be an artist or go to culinary school, whatever it is, and you're just like, oh, I'm not good enough. I don't think anyone's going to want to listen to me. I'm never going to get a business loan. Whatever it is, he put that in your heart before you even got here. That was part of your itinerary. But if you decide you're not going to go, he will get someone else to do it. I know I made a comparison to the GPS in another video, but it's the same thing. If you're going somewhere, usually the GPS will give you one route, but there are also alternative routes. And sometimes God will have to use someone else and maybe it'll take longer. Maybe it may not be the person he wanted to use, but he will get it done. So don't think that just because you don't do it, it won't get done. He'll have to use someone else. And what an honor it is for God to choose you to do something. He's chosen every single one of you ladies to do something. So when you find out what that something is, step into it. And that confidence is in God knowing he will get his plan done through you. You don't have to worry about that. So I want you to think of defining moments in your life where you finally woke up and thought, it's now or never. I need to step forward into this. This is why God brought me here. Has there been anything in your life? And you can leave a comment in the comment section if there's something that comes to mind. I'll tell you a little bit about a defining moment that came up with me. I've had a couple of sort of like awakenings in my life for lots of different things. And the more it comes up, the more I'm just in awe of how God can use me and use all of the things that were just so, so terrible about myself and about my life and use it for his glory. It's like the puzzle just coming together, but it's really a call. It's really a, are you going to do it or not? I remember when I was in graduate school, when I was doing my doctorate, we had a cohort of six people. And in the cohort, we would talk a lot about what we were going to do after we completed our dissertation and we graduated. And everyone wanted to be a professor. That's usually the route that people go in when they're doing a doctorate. They're probably going to want to teach or do research. And everyone pretty much wanted to be a professor. And I was the only one who thought, no, I don't really want to do that. I mean, I know I can do that, but that's not what I want to do. I want to be able to use my knowledge and my training and my educational background to be able to help people in a different kind of way. And they looked at me like, what? You're doing all of this, this intense, grueling work to do that? Like, you don't have to do this to do that. And I thought, actually, you know, I do have to do this because this gives me a certain level of credibility. This gives me access to information that certain people would never be able to know unless they're paying $300 for a therapy session or they have some exclusive connections with people. And I thought, this is what I want to do. I believe that this is part of the plan that God has called me on to be able to serve him in a different way. And they thought it was just ridiculous. And I was in the program and I had one professor that was so mean. And she just said some of the worst things to me. And I went home that night thinking, I'm done. I'm, I'm not doing this. Like, maybe they're right. Like, maybe I don't need to get the doctorate. I can just do my own thing in a different way. And I was talking to my best friend at the time on the phone. And I was like, I'm going to quit the program. I was two years in, but I was like, I'm, I'm done. 
I, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I'm qualified to do this. And she's like, yeah, girl, go ahead and quit. You know how these people are. You know, she was just like, no, you're right. You should quit. <laughs> and when I got home, I told my mom and my mom says, you know, you should think about why you started. Why did you even want to do this? This is a very personal degree. Why did you want to do this? Was it for yourself? Was it for someone else? Because that's important. The reason why you even started. And I thought, oh, wow, you know, if I stop, then I'm going to let down all the people that I was doing this for. All of the young black girls who came from immigrant families, who came from poor neighborhoods, who are just black girls in general here in America who are seen in a certain light. I wanted to let them know that they can do anything and they can do everything. And if I quit, then my niece and my all of my family members, all the little girls are not going to have someone to be able to look up to. So that was important to me, more important to me than what that professor had said and how she made me feel. And so I had to take a step back and think about the why and think about how God has positioned me to be able to help his people in a different kind of way. And lo and behold, that professor was fired before I graduated from the program. And I think a lot of people were experiencing her in that way. And so she was, she was fired. But for me personally, it was a moment where I had to think about how God was going to use me in my life and thinking about the things that I struggled with. When I was in high school, I remember going up to different teachers and random staff members and asking them personal questions that I wanted answers to, things that I was struggling with or things that were really embarrassing, but I had no one else to ask. And the idea of being available. The idea of being able to speak to people at a very normal level, because, you know, as a doctor, as a PhD, when you're in a room with PhD, <laughs> trust me, the language is up here. And yeah, you do have to be able to keep up with that, which is not difficult. What is difficult is being able to speak down here to the average person and not putting yourself above someone else and truly trying to connect with people in a very normal way. And all of those things were very important to me. So that's why I decided to go down the path that I went through because I wanted to be able to help the average person and answer questions that might be embarrassing because we're all going through the same things. And I have people that I asked, teachers that I asked silly questions to, and they didn't judge me and they answered me and they helped me. And that meant the world to me. And I thought, my goodness, People should be able to talk to other women and get advice and get help and not feel embarrassed and not feel like they have to know everything. And if that can be something God can use me for, then I'm going to let him use me. And it reminded me of Moses because this is something I've been reading lately. I went back to read Exodus and it's interesting how God took Moses, a person who wasn't supposed to be in the palace. You know, he was a Jew. He was saved. He was supposed to be murdered as a child, but he was saved and he was raised like he was raised a prince. So he experienced life as a prince. And in his mind, when he was younger, he felt and knew that he was like everyone else in the royal family until he, he knew his own identity. However, God allowed him to be able to live a kingly life get educated, be able to learn how to write, be able to learn how to lead. All of those things he was taught in the palace. 
And when he committed murder, when he did something that was very terrible and he had to leave, God didn't just say, okay, well, you're done. You're a murderer. He used a murderer to be able to deliver his people. He used him to be able to write down the things that God wanted people to know and make it permanent. Write it down. But he needed someone who knew how to write. He needed somebody who was educated. He was positioned in that place to be able to serve God in a very different way. And all of those things that he went through added up to be able to glorify God, even if a lot of it wasn't glamorous. So this awakening moment in your life, when when Moses had to say, yes, I will do it, even though he did not want to do it, he had to go back to the place where he was not wanted, the place where he killed someone. He had to go back there and completely do a 180. So let me know in your life, what have been some defining moments for you? And maybe there's been some decisions that were really difficult for you and you decided that you were going to push forward because of a bigger reason. And those are the moments that you really should hold dear because they are the turning points in your life. So I'm going to read from page 52. She says, God is awakening many women today to a purpose greater than themselves. He is calling us from a mundane existence to a place of significance and fulfillment. Many women in the body of Christ have been trapped by tradition and locked into captivity by cultural and gender prejudice. Esther had to overcome many obstacles in her life to embrace and respond to the call of God on her life. To be awakened has the connotation that you collect your faculties. You arrive from a place of obscurity, indifference, and inactivity. It means to rise up and take a stand, to appear, to produce, to be revived from ruins. The general concept of awakening captures a notion of either rousing oneself or being roused in order to take action, as in the call of Esther. Such calls to action is usually accompanied by urgency and intensity. It also suggests an arousal from passivity or indifference. So this speaks to you being in a position in your life to rise up from whatever it is that you are doing. Right now, some of you are not doing anything. You don't think that there is a call on your life. You don't think that there's something that you are destined to do. So for you, you watch other people live their lives, whether it's on social media, whether it's through television, you're engrossed in the lives of other people because you don't think that there's anything going on with you. And you have to arise from that place of indifference and that place of just being passive or lazy and do something great because that's why you are here. And you have to continually seek that. So she says that the sign that you are being awakened is that movement that starts happening in your heart for an assignment. You get this like tug inside of you. I experienced that not too long ago and it doesn't stop. It's so intense and it's like you have to do this thing. Questions begin to arise in your heart like why on earth was I born? Is there something more to the Christian life than what I'm experiencing? Could God in some way use my life to make a difference? So she points out some signs that you have a real awakening going on in your life. So here are some signs. 
You continually hear the voice of God in an area of awakening. It could be children. It could be abuse. It could be people who are being sex trafficked. It could be financial. It could be anything. But there's a certain area that has always interested you and you feel God is speaking to you in this particular area. You have a divine sense of urgency and compassion for a situation. When God puts something on your heart and you start paying attention to that thing, he's going to start really kind of pressing in and saying, God, come on, let's go. You need to do it today, today, today. And you might say, oh, no, not today, maybe tomorrow. But it's going to be today, today, today. It's going to be on your heart all the time. It's a divine sense of urgency. You have the burden of the Lord, which is when a heavy weight comes upon you in the spirit to carry throughout the earth until the task is complete. So you won't stop. It's something that will continue until you see what you want to see with whatever it is. You have a priority change. Your life will no longer be about self-preservation, but fulfilling the purpose of God. And that's a huge, huge, huge thing in terms of whatever it is that you're doing. A lot of us live in a way where we're here just to preserve our life. We just want to be cute. We just want to have all these great things. And we don't want to do anything. We want to make sure that we never rock the boat. We never say anything that's going to upset anyone. We won't even tell the truth sometimes because we're just afraid of what other people will think. And we're in this place where sometimes we're just lazy and it catches up. You know, when you are an adult, every single thing you do adds up to the culmination of your life. So I would say adult because as a child, sometimes we don't have control over what we do sometimes. So starting from adulthood, every decision you make, the tiniest decisions, and I'm not talking about big life choices. I'm just talking about you waking up on time. And then you realize that you get in your car and you didn't get gas yesterday when you knew that your gas tank was empty. So now you're late and you have to stop at the gas station. So now you're extra late <laughs> when you should have stopped yesterday. And now you're lying to your boss about why you're late. Now you've been late a couple days this week. Now you're stressed. Now you're irritable. And, you know, just little things like that. You're not scheduling your doctor's appointment for your son because you've been too busy. You keep missing the window. Now your son can't get an appointment for another three months, or you choose to go on a date with a certain guy and something tells you, uh, I don't really think I like this guy, but I'm just going to go because people say I never go on dates. And so I'm just going to do it. And then this guy ends up wrecking your life. I mean, these are tiny, tiny decisions. It can be anything. It can be big decisions. You have an unplanned pregnancy and you're like, oh no, what am I going to do? Am I going to keep this child? You know, these are all things that are going to impact your life. And some things are tiny and they lead up to something big and some things are big and they never go away. So maybe you don't choose to go through with a pregnancy and then your whole life you are stressed out about whether or not you will ever have a child. Every time you see a child, you get stressed. Every time you think about it, you get stressed. Your body doesn't even act the same. I mean, you thought this was a one-time decision and now it's haunting you. Every single thing you do has an impact, whether it's very tiny or it's huge. So you have to decide in your life, how do you make decisions? And that's something that she talks about. How is it that you make your decisions in life? Do you 
ask people when something comes up in your life? Do you call your best friend and ask them what to do? Do you ask four or five people and try to take a poll on what you should do? Do you talk to a parent or a mentor? Most of us have a certain way that we make decisions in our lives. But what we don't do enough is seek God and ask him, what do you want me to do? He is the one who designed your life. He has your life itinerary. Okay, so he's like, hmm, okay, March 10th. Oh, yes, you're supposed to be doing this on this day. And you would not know. Instead, you're making things up and asking other people who don't know and don't really care that much. Let's be honest. They don't really care that much. And you are making decisions based on feelings and based on feelings in a certain moment. Imagine if I had listened to my best friend at the time and said, yeah, you know what? You're right. I'm going to quit. I would have quit. I would have quit. And so we can't just seek certain counsel until we pray about things and we bring it back to God and we ask for God's will to be done all the time. That's what you want to pray for more than anything is let thy kingdom come and let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever is going on in heaven with me, I need it to come down here on earth. Bring heaven down every chance you can and seek God. And a lot of people say, well, I don't know how to hear God. I don't, well, how do I know if God's really talking to me? Well, this is a skill. This is a skill that takes time. I had this question for so long and I would read all these blog posts and books and the answer was always so confusing to me. It didn't make any sense until I finally just did it myself where I spent time praying and fasting. For me, the major key is fasting, fasting and reading the Bible. He will speak to you, but a lot of times we just have so many distractions and fasting in a spiritual way opens you up to be able to hear God clear, to be able to just feel God's presence, to be able to block out all of the spiritual sort of um, all the negative things, all of the, the bad spiritual things that are going on that you're not aware of. So Esther does this and we'll talk about it in another chapter, I believe. But I want to know, how do you make decisions in your life? Do you just make them based on what you think you should do, based on what your friends say, based on what your friends did? You start remembering what this person did, what that person did. Okay, I should probably do that too. Is it through TV? Is it through people that you see on social media? How do you make your decisions? The author says is when making a decision, you must always begin with the heart and the mind of God. You must start with what is right according to the principles of the kingdom and not what is acceptable. We will talk more about this in a later chapter. But this is why Esther, her handmaidens, and the Jewish people prayed and fasted for three days. She needed to know the heart and mind of God and line up with it so that his destiny for her would be fulfilled. How else would she have known? How else will you know? When making choices, we must consider our values because values impact our decision-making. Values are something that we believe in so much that they guide our behavior. Values help determine how we weigh the consequences of choosing one option or another. To make the right choices, our values need to be aligned with God's values. We need the wisdom, integrity, and will to make the right decisions for ourselves. So. This is something that I want you to pay attention to. 
Every single thing that God has outlined for you is in this book. Every answer to every question is in here. There is nothing new under the sun. Nothing is new. There is no situation you are in that someone hasn't been in before. And everything is in here. So a lot of times we just need the right answer. The answer that's going to make us feel at peace in our spirit. And it's not going to be an answer that just comes from your head unless what's in your head is God's word. And if you are someone who genuinely prays, talks to God, fasts, you're aware of God, you worship him on a daily. If you're someone who's constantly being fed and you are spirit filled and you walk in the spirit, the nine times out of 10, whatever you're thinking about is probably fine. It's probably good because you are filled with God's spirit. And the Lord says the thoughts of a righteous man are true. Like if you are righteous in God's eyes, the things that you think about are normally going to be what he wants you to do. Okay, you are in right standing and you know his word is imprinted and embedded in your heart and in your mind. So you don't have to stress out. But if you're someone who is not connected, then yes, these things are very stressful because you have no idea where to even begin. And it does take a lot for you to be able to know if you made the right decision. So you must awaken to your true identity in God. And I have a video on my channel where I discuss identity and rising to your true identity, your identity as the daughter of the most high God, the identity of Christ. We have our identities tied into so many different things, ladies. I mean, it's not your fault. This is how this world is. We do everything that we can to find our place. And the enemy has done a fantastic job of distracting us so much that we never want our identity to be God's daughter. It's always being from Brooklyn or being from Haiti or being a therapist or being an athlete. Whatever it is that we do is what we attach ourselves to. And this is very normal. Most people do this. Our identity is tied to something we're doing. Like maybe you're vegan. And so it's like, yeah, I'm a vegan. Everything about you is vegan. That's how, that's the lens you see the world through. That's how you make your decisions. That's what you identify with. Whatever it is, some people identify with things like their weight, you know, something that fluctuates. Maybe you're a plus size girl and that's how you live your life is through that lens as a plus size woman when that is not who you are. It's just not. And unfortunately, we get so stuck in these identities that it stops us from being able to actually see God's purpose and see how God sees us because this is how the world sees us putting ourselves in categories and being boxed in to an identity. I see this the most when it comes to zodiac signs. Oh, people just love being attached to whatever month they were born in. Like it's, it's God to them. The way that they act has to do with their zodiac sign, who they date. And it's, it's like, the only thing that makes sense to them, the only thing that they can attach their identity with is this sign. And it's so bizarre and it's sad because there's some people who will say, well, I'm nothing like my sign. Am I supposed to be like this? How come I'm not like this? Is there something wrong with me? How come I, it's so confusing because it's not what identifies you. And the only thing that identifies you is what God says about you, the one who made you. And if we get stuck in all of these false identities, whatever they are, 
Sometimes it's something like an illness. Maybe you have an illness that you were born with, or maybe you have a certain way that you speak or a certain skin condition and everything about your life is around that. Now, you don't need to disregard it completely in terms of maybe your ethnic identity or certain things about your life, because those could be the areas that God wants to use to expand you and to bring his glory into. But that is not your core identity of who you are. It's just what you have while you're here. And there is a difference. So I really want you to think about that. And you can let me know in the comments, what identity have you aligned yourself with for most of your life? Maybe things changed once you were born again and you entered into the kingdom of God and you realize, wow, you know, none of that stuff, none of it matters. Or maybe it's something you're still struggling with. I know for me, for the longest time, I used to fully identify with being from Ghana. Like that was so important to me because it was the only thing that I felt made me significant was because I knew where I was from. I had this rich culture. People don't know a lot about it in America. I can, this can like be my little territory. So my usernames were about Ghana. I got things about Ghana tattooed on my body, things that I felt made me valuable or made me worth something was because I had a connection to this thing that I cared so much about. And so it really helps you to be able to see how you see yourself. What is it that you identify with? Is it a celebrity that people say you look like? Whatever it is, it's not how God sees you. So that is what you should be seeking. And I'm going to read from page 56, what she says, such a time as this, Mordecai challenged Esther to awaken from her assimilation into the Persian culture to remember her true identity. The statement suggests he was aware that God was working out his purposes when he said, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And this was something that he wasn't sure about. He said, who knows? He wasn't even certain, but he thought, hmm, maybe this is why you became the queen. Maybe it wasn't just about you being beautiful. <laughs> there was a purpose behind this. So Mordecai could not be certain, but he was proposing the idea, the remarkable turn of events in Esther's life, becoming the queen of Persia, had not come about by accident. She was placed in a strategic position at a timely moment to carry out a purpose. Whose purpose? Mordecai does not say. But the fact that he and Esther were Jews makes it plain that the Lord's hand was behind it all. Like Mordecai and Esther, you may face circumstances about which you have little, if any, insight. Whether or not scripture is silent on the issue, you may wonder what God is up to. What does it all mean? In moments like these, you can engage in the kind of reflection that Mordecai practiced, comparing the events of life with what you know about God to suggest what his purposes might be. The same God who worked through Esther is at work in your life today. Who knows what circumstances he might bring you to for such a time as this. We're in a very interesting time right now, ladies. There's so much going on in this world, especially in terms of gender, in terms of identity, in terms of womanhood and what that means. There's so much going on. People are very confused about their lives, confused about their existence. 
we have such a spike in depression and anxiety and suicide and just gender confusion, sexual confusion. There is so much that the enemy has tried to do to just rattle us so that we can't find our purpose in life. And perhaps he has created you for such a time as this, for you to be able to put your footprint down and give back to your fellow ladies and your fellow community to be able to uplift and empower and help in some kind of way to bring people back to a place of peace. And so we have to be delivered from the spirit of indifference and not caring and not thinking things don't apply to us. We're not worried about that. It doesn't affect us because every single one of you has something special that God has given to you and you were not born to be a spectator. You should have things that are encouraging other people as well to gain a new appreciation for your life and understand that this is all a buildup. And once you're able to release all of the anger from your past, forgive yourself for the things that you have done, I am telling you ladies, every day, every day, I'm getting messages from you ladies about things that you have done in your past that you are ashamed of and that you think God's not going to forgive you for and you are stuck there. And that is what's holding so many of us ladies back. As women, we get put in society and we get told all of these things that we have to do and be. And a lot of those things are scary or demeaning. And a lot of us fall into that stuff because we just don't know. We didn't have guidance. We make lots of mistakes, especially with men. We do things that we're not proud of. We do things that we wish we hadn't done. We make the same mistake over and over, even though we thought we learned from it. And you're not alone in that. Almost every single woman has done that, whether they tell you or they don't tell you. It's the truth. And God knows how difficult it is to be here. That's why he sent Jesus, his son, who was also God, to be able to die for you. So you don't have to live in that shame. And that's why he came to be able to see, okay, this is what you go through. It is hard. He knows that. He knows what you're up against. He knows you cannot stop sinning completely. But what he wants is for you to just come back to him. There is nothing that is too big for him to erase. And when God forgives you, he forgets it. He does not remember your sins. You do. That's why you got to be careful because you remember it. <laughs> and the enemy will try to get you to stay there because that's what he does. But in terms of God, he does not remember it. If he can use a murderer to write these foundational books of the Bible, the books that teach us about God's creation, about all the deliverance and all these foundational books, a murderer to do that, I think he can use you to do anything in this world, regardless of what you've done and how that looks in your eyes. So I really want you ladies to come out of that feeling of, pity for yourself and of just feeling like you're not worth anything because you've made poor choices in your life. We all have. And there's a reason God's going to, he's going to flip it around. He's going to twist it up and he's going to use it for his glory. And the most beautiful thing that God can do is have you say, I used to be like this and now I'm like this. If you come and you just show the world that you're just this perfect little princess, then how is that bringing glory to God? How can anyone else look at that and be like, oh, well, <laughs> I'm not. So I guess I can't relate to her. 
And that's just not the truth. That that's the one thing that Jesus couldn't do in a sense was he was sinless. He didn't create any sins for us. He was perfect for us. But his glory, the glory that we get by having him is being able to say that we were full of sin. And now because of him, we can be cleansed and restored and renewed and live a brand new life. We get to change from one to another. And that is a glorious miracle to be able to be a certain kind of woman and then completely change your life because of Christ. I mean, that is significant. That is something Christ did not do that you can do. And he's empowered you to do that. He wants you to do that. He knows you're going to do that. That's why he came. So don't get stuck there. I really don't want you ladies to get stuck there. It's important for you to fulfill the purpose that he assigned for you and to love it, to search for it, to ask him for it, to forgive yourself and forgive other people so you can move forward. Okay. And last but not least, she has a lot of other really, really great things in here. And I'm not going to read it because it's just going to be too much. But I do want to go over some declarations that she makes and prayers to awaken your destiny because they're so powerful. And these are affirmations that you can say to help you to rise from where you are to the person that God created you to be. There's a song by William McDowell. I know some of you asked in my last live, who are some great gospel artists? I love William McDowell. His music is, is calm, it's relaxing, and it's just so beautiful for worship. But he has a song that's called Arise. And that's what this chapter reminds me of, the song Arise. And the song he's telling you to arise, awaken from your sleep. You're in this generation for a reason. This generation of women need to change the world. We need to get back on track and we can, but we have to arise and stop looking at other people and thinking that they're so much greater than we are because they're not. We're all the same. Some of us just decide to take things on and some of us decide to be spectators. So you need, my dear, to arise. Some declarations that can help you to do that are, I will awaken from sleep and slumber. I will awaken from complacency and indifference. I will lose confusion into every plan and demonic conspiracy to keep me silent. I will encourage the next generation of godly women. Let every God-given idea be awakened, activated, cultivated, and implemented for kingdom advancement. I lose myself from insecurity and fear of failure. I break every religious spirit that has pushed me to the background. I will redeem the time in my life. I will not allow a lazy, slothful spirit to control my life. I am a woman filled with the Holy Spirit. I am significant. The Lord validates me, and he has called me and anointed me for such a time as this. When someone wants to ask you, who do you think you are and why do you think you can do this? You let them know. You don't need the validation of any man here. The Lord validates you. He puts a stamp on you to say you can do it and you're going to do it. No one here needs to agree with that. As long as you are in alignment with God, he will get you there. And then they will see the God that you serve. But don't let other people bring you down with their negativity. And last but not least, I want to read a prayer that she gives to activate the power of choice. If you can just relax. Close your eyes and just pray with me and just agree with me. Allow heaven to come down here into your room, 
wherever you are, just allow heaven to come down and allow the Holy Spirit's presence to fill your space. Lord, your word says in Deuteronomy 30, 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Lord, I choose life. I choose blessings. I ask that you would give me the ability to make sound decisions. Let wisdom and discretion rest upon me. I choose to follow your plans and purpose for my life. I choose to step out of my comfort zone and obey your will for my life. I will not be a victim of circumstance. I choose to forgive every man that has withheld promotions from me because I am a woman. I will not let a spirit of hatred of men infiltrate my heart. I will not let revenge, anger, and retaliation contaminate my spirit. I will make godly choices motivated by love. I will walk in righteousness. I choose to be a woman of holiness. I choose to break out of the status quo. I choose to be a blessing to the next generation. I will leave a legacy of goodness and mercy in the earth. I draw a line in the spirit and choose life that my bloodline will be blessed. Because of my righteous choice, my descendants will inherit the earth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much, all of you beautiful ladies. I really appreciate you being here. So I'm going to go through the chat right now, and I'm going to see what you ladies are saying. Oh, I love all of you so much. I love you too. I'm so happy to know that my videos make you feel at peace in your hearts, and I can't, I can't take credit for that. I really can't. I know that the Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is inside of me and that is why my videos make you feel like that it's not anything i'm doing i promise it's really it's god's presence that you're sensing how do women show up more genuine in the world it seems like so many people struggle to be themselves and it makes their presence less impactful well i i think the biggest thing is not being so concerned about what other people think of you we live in a climate where Everyone's opinion matters, it seems, and people think that just because they say something that you should take it to heart. But in terms of showing up more genuinely, whatever it is that you feel very strongly about, whatever it is that you have aligned with God and said, okay, this is something that he wants me to speak about, then you go for it and you be yourself and you might be the change that needs to happen. But unfortunately, it's hard to be genuine in this society because of the fact that people might label you a certain way or might try to attack certain things because that's just the climate we live in where people are ignorant for the most part and they're following the leader, the blind leading the blind, right? And it lets you know if, if the blind can lead the blind, then it lets you know that someone who is blind can lead. Even though they cannot see, they can still lead. And sadly, that's the climate that we're in or people are following people who have no idea where they're going, what they're doing and what they're saying. And it just sounds good. And so they follow the lead. So you just have to show up as yourself and trust God that he's going to fight for you, deliver you and exalt you if he put a stamp of approval, whatever it is that you're doing. Thank you so much for all of you who prayed for me. I cannot tell you how much that means to me. 
Prayer is so powerful and every single prayer matters. For those of you who pray for me, thank you so much. You know that when I do this kind of work, when anyone does, that the enemy is pissed because so many of you are being delivered and so many of you are finding God. And I know it just drives Satan crazy. And if he could, you know, I wouldn't even be here right now. But God is so much more. Satan is not even, he couldn't do what he wanted to do even if he tried. God is so powerful and we cannot be afraid of the enemy in terms of speaking out and doing what we need to do for God because he has already defeated Satan. We bind him and we push forward because God is our strength and our refuge and he always comes through. He protects his daughters and you don't have to worry about that. But it is important to pray because that's what gives that spiritual power and positions me in a way that I can have the ability to come on here. So thank you so, so much. Let's see. I'm at an age where I have to decide if I want kids or not, but I'm about 80% sure that I don't want to be a mom. Do you want kids? Yes. I, I love kids. I want kids. I want to be able to create a generation that has more knowledge and more substance and more opportunities to be able to just to keep God's plan moving and going. So I definitely want children. I love children so much. Absolutely love children. I believe that there are different ways to be a mother. So maybe you may not have children biologically, but I truly believe that there are lots of other ways that you can mother people and we all need it. I told you I was going around asking women at school for advice, like asking teachers questions that were so embarrassing, but I needed to know because I was worried about stuff. And so she was mothering me and she wasn't a mother, but she was mothering me by giving me that consolation and advice and I needed it and I was grateful for it. So you can find other ways to mother. I heard someone say Satan's mad because he knows his future and that's why he's trying to destroy ours. Exactly. He's already... Satan has already been defeated and he wants to take down as many people as he can with him. So when you choose to live a life full of sin and allow the enemy to just take over your life, then you're making it so easy for him. And he really probably doesn't bother you that much because you're not, you're not a threat. You're, you're following his lead and he deceives you. Satan's a liar and a deceiver. So it's not like you know that you're doing this, but you are. If you're not doing what God's asked you to do, then you need to take a second look. When I mention fasting, do I mean fasting from food or social media? When I mention fasting, I'm talking about fasting from food. And I read something on the last live where someone mentioned that the Lord used food as a way of fasting because that was the first sin committed by Adam and Eve. I thought that was very profound and that does make sense because food was... Food is the reason why we got into the situation in the first place. And so fasting from food is opening you up spiritually. So I thought that was great. But yes, fasting from food, where do you begin? I, I'm going to go into fasting when we get on that chapter because there's a lot that goes into fasting. You have to make sure that you're healthy and you're able to fast. It is, it's life-changing. It's life-changing at the very least, but... It's very different fasting from other things, and you can, but it's not the same as fasting from food. How can I study the Bible? I read, it, I read it regularly, but it's very difficult for me to digest it. Do you have any specific way you study the Bible? Lauren, 
So Lauren's saying she wants to study the Bible, but she finds it very difficult to digest. So how are you reading the Bible? That's my question. Are you reading it just sort of randomly, reading different scriptures? Did you start at the beginning? How are you reading it? And also, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, reading the Bible is going to be a challenge. And I know that because I went from not having the Spirit's presence to being born again and having the Spirit. And it's a completely different experience because the Holy Spirit will talk to you. The Holy Spirit is God. And He will speak and kind of make things kind of come to life for you, illuminate scriptures to be able to draw connections. And reading it is going to be more like a book if you don't have the Holy Spirit's presence while you're reading it. That is necessary to be able to understand the Bible. So that is why it's so important for you to bring Jesus into your heart and repent and tell Jesus that you want the Holy Spirit. You want your life to reflect his life. You want to be a follower and disciple of his. You want to be a kingdom ambassador. You want it all. And then he will give it to you and you will have a very different experience reading the Bible. Definitely pray. When you when you have questions about scriptures, pray. You can also read books that you can dive deeper in scripture with. So if you're kind of just starting off and you're trying to figure out different things, you can read a book that talks about something like, I have a book that I'm reading called The Fruit of the Spirit, and it talks about all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so you can read up on those chapters. However, I really think it's important to read the whole Bible because everything kind of connects and you get to see the wonders and the miracles and the prophets. And then you get to see life of Jesus and how all of it connects, how there was so much foreshadowing of Jesus before he came. And you get to see a lot of different things if you read it all the way through. However, I know that there's a lot of different ways to read the Bible. So I... I don't want to tell you one way, but I do know that if you're struggling, then you need to pray about that scripture. Ask God to reveal what that scripture means to you. The more you spend time with God, the more that you pray, the more that you truly seek him, he will show up. He said, if you seek him, you will find him and you will find him if you earnestly seek him. But it's not a novel that you just read um, or it's not going to make a whole, it's not going to really come to life. Daily devotionals are really nice and it helps you to be able to get more of an understanding for scriptures. But most of us read daily devotionals and we just read the scripture. And unfortunately, that's not very, very helpful because when you have scriptures, you want to be able to really stand on them and believe them and, and place them in your heart. And if you don't know God, if you don't understand God's personality, if you don't know what he hates and what he likes and what he expects, then they're going to kind of just be like just verses to you. You need to know who's saying it. That's how you can trust in it. That's how it can actually make sense for you is when you know who God is. You need to know his power. You need to know how much he loves you. You need to know what he's done. You need to know all about the things that he's done from the beginning of time to really be able to trust that this scripture is what it is. And that makes all the difference. You need to know God's personality. It's important because he's not some old man in the sky pointing his finger at you. That is not who God is. My boyfriend and I have been abstaining from sex. He is always compromising things for me because of my insecurities. How can we find middle ground? 
Okay, he's a photographer for models, and because of my insecurities, I steered him away from something he was so passionate about. Well, you know, everyone has what's important to them, and unfortunately, that is something that is very important to men, but it does not mean that you have to give in to what he's asking for. And it sounds like he's he's being a little manipulative with the way that he's acting and how he's you know telling you that you're the reason that he did whatever he did. At the end of the day, he made the decision to be with you. And if this is what you feel like you, you want for your body and your life and your personal relationship with God, then you have to stand on that and... There is no greater reward than being faithful to what God's asked you to do. Nothing means more than that because at the end of the day, God is the one who decides, you know, the blessings and the things that you'll experience in this, in this earth. And he can bring you someone else. He can always bring you someone else. Trust and believe that. There's no reason to ever compromise when it comes to God. No one should be put before him. No one. No one should be put before him, including your boyfriend. So pray about it. Prayer is very, very powerful for every situation. Just pray about it. Every situation. Pray about it. God will he'll talk to you. It's better be single than pressured. Yes. I started going to church this month thanks to Dr. Michelle. Yay! I'm so happy to hear that. That's so great. You know, it's funny because in every situation... It causes, it, it definitely requires you to pray. Everything that happens in the natural, there's something going on in the spiritual realm. I pray for more of the word. My church is still not meeting and I miss Bible study. I got what I prayed for. Your channel appeared. Oh, that's amazing. I'm happy to hear that, Kristen. I'm so happy that you ladies are starting to utilize prayer more and understanding the significance of it. Just know everyone prays. Even if you don't believe in God, people who don't believe, say they don't believe in anything, they still pray. And I promise you, when people get into the worst of worst situations, like where they're in that situation where it's do or die, life or death, that is the moment where they remember, oh, wait, there's this thing called prayer that people do. Let me see if it works. Everyone knows that there is so much more that goes on that they're aware of. And whether or not they choose to acknowledge it doesn't mean that they don't acknowledge its power. They just maybe are not willing to give up that power and that false sense of being their own God to your heavenly father. But prayer is the most important thing you could ever do. It's more important than anything. I feel very uneasy and agitated around certain people. My intuition tells me they hate me. Should I trust my intuition? Well, I don't know. Your intuition can be very faulty depending on your mental status, depending on where you are in your life at the time, what's going on in your life. So I wouldn't necessarily always trust your intuition. It just depends on how accurate it's been, I guess. I would pray for it and see if I can get spiritual discernment, which is different than intuition, which will give you a better idea of what's really going on and pray about it. And you don't have to guess. You can pray about it and God will tell you. Where do I buy nice candles from? Well, looking for something high quality. I like candles from Diptyque. I like candles from Joe Malone. Bath and Body Works, they also have good candles. They really do. I like candles from Le Labo. If you go to Nordstrom, pretty much most of the brands there have really good candles. Oh, a really great brand that has good candles is Bond. Those fragrances that look like stars. 
It's called like Bomb Number something. I can't remember the brands. But they have wonderful candles. They're very tiny, but they are fantastic. So those are great. Dr. Michelle, a man and I were dating. When I saw him, we were hugging and happy to see one another. Within 45 minutes, our energy had flipped and we couldn't seem to stand one another. Any ideas? Wow, that is so strange. So you saw him and you were hugging and then within 45 minutes, your energy, both of your energy flipped and you couldn't stand one another. That is a serious, drastic change. Something about that doesn't sound right. I don't think that that is normal. I think if anything like that, that's so unusual, it happens, you need to take a step back. There's no reason why you should ever have to force yourself to be into someone that clearly you are not interested in. I mean, if it's something small that you're just kind of annoyed by, it's one thing. But if something that you can't even explain doesn't feel right, to me, it's not even worth finding out why. That would be scary to find out why that even happened later on down the road. Do I think locks will shrink my dating pool in a bad way? I think that no matter what hairstyle you have, you just need to look clean and put together. There's not one hairstyle that I think is the end-all be-all. I think it depends on the way you look. It depends on your hair in terms of is it neat? Is it Does it smell good? Is it styled? How do you present as a woman? Are you confident? There are women who are bald. There are women who have long hair, short hair, curly hair, afros. I mean, every hairstyle can look great or terrible depending on the way you rock it. So overall, some people will do frown upon locks, but it depends on how you wear them. Some people frown upon it just because it has this negative connotation to it. But in terms of women, mostly, locks usually make you look very wise, especially if you're older. I think that locks are absolutely beautiful, but I do believe that with every hairstyle, you need to look clean. That is what you need to aim for, looking clean and not looking like you rolled out of bed and not looking like you didn't put any care whatsoever into your appearance. That is what turns people off. Okay, so I don't think it'll limit your dating pool, but depending on how you wear it, it absolutely could. I heard women I look up to spiritually say that wearing makeup is not of God. They tend to be homely and plain and dressed. I sometimes feel guilty for investing in me in this way. You know, I've heard, you know, I've heard a lot of things. And I, I think that with things like that, it's important for you to seek God and look in the word. See if there's anything to back that up and seek God in terms of what works for you. I don't think that that is what God is paying attention to. If you overfocus on the way that you look, you're wearing a lot of makeup because you want to cover up things, you're insecure, or you're spending all your money on makeup, you're doing things that are causing you to sin because of it, then yes, I do think it, just like anything else, it can be a detriment. But People who say that a lot of those things are very religious types of um, comments. And a lot of people, sadly, get caught up in religion and in this is how a certain person looks. You shouldn't be able to know who a kingdom citizen is by looking at them. In terms of, you know, if you're a citizen of the Bahamas, <laughs> like Dr. Monroe, if you're a citizen of Ireland or Israel, 
you cannot tell who is a citizen of where until they probably start talking or they start behaving a certain way. That's usually when you start putting things together. But just looking at a person, you shouldn't be able to tell. Now, if you're able to tell because only some people look this way, then to me, that sounds very religious. And it sounds like something that could be a deterrent overall because, you know, you're forcing yourself to look a certain way to appease God when that's not what he even looks at. He looks at your heart. And you may be someone who wears a lot of makeup because makeup is fun for you. It's an art to you. It could be someone who God has said, put down the makeup. He knows your heart and he knows why you're using it. And he's like, I don't want you using it. He has a different rule for you. And that's something he put on your heart. But to say all Christians should not, should look like, to look homely or should not care about their appearance, to me makes no sense. You know, God is a king. He is someone who loves his creations. He wants you to care for yourself. He wants you to take good care of yourself. He doesn't want you to make yourself an idol. He doesn't want you to care more about putting on your makeup than spending time with him. But he is not going to look at you any differently than someone who wears absolutely no makeup and does whatever they want to do. That is very religious. That's not kingdom. So um, I don't agree with that at all. It's small things. It's small things that get people. I've had so many conversations with women that have caused them to be able to talk with me because of makeup. That the eyeshadow I was wearing and the lipstick I was wearing was what made them even come and speak to me. How could I have ever even talked to them about Jesus until they saw something that looked pretty and they wanted to know a little bit more about it? I mean, sometimes things are just gateways. As long as you're not doing anything sinful, sometimes it's just it's another avenue. It shouldn't be that obvious. Yes, I do love Dr. Miles Monroe. He's my mentor. He is was the most incredible person I have ever, 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 ever listened to in my life. He is—he was just so anointed and just did so much with the time that he had here on earth. And I feel like if you're someone who really is looking for their purpose in life and you're searching for the woman that you want to be, he is, to me, the best person to listen to, to read, and to watch in terms of finding your purpose, in terms of getting your identity as a kingdom citizen, as a kingdom ambassador, understanding the Bible, understanding that God is a king and the Bible is written in kingdom form. If you don't understand how a kingdom works, the Bible is not going to make a whole lot of sense to you. And when you understand how a kingdom works, and you understand how kings work, then you understand how God works. Simple things, simple things, keys to the kingdom, things that work, things that unlock And God will, you know, God being a king, one simple, simple thing. When we talk about giving, when you give to a king, a king gives you more. A king has to show, show you up. He has to show you that he is a king. And when you are a citizen in a king's territory, you have to be provided for. It looks bad on a king when you are broke and you're living in a shack and this is his kingdom that you live in and you're a citizen that looks bad on him. So there are so many things that you need to understand about a king to understand God, because God is a king. And if you don't understand that, then again, he's this like old man in the sky waving his finger at you. And it's just, it puts you in a place where you don't even know how to approach God. And when you learn about what kings like and how you approach a king and how you 
act around a king and what draws kings in and how to get a king to bless you. All of those things are what make loving God and knowing God so exciting. So understanding kingdom is so important. Dr. Miles Monroe is to me the best person who has ever described the kingdom of God. And literally, that is what Jesus preached. That was his main message the whole time he was here on earth was about the kingdom of God. He didn't talk about being a Christian, wearing makeup. He talked about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is here. That was his message. The kingdom of heaven is here. Do you even understand what the kingdom of heaven is? Do you understand what that means when he says the kingdom of heaven has arrived? Do you understand what a kingdom is? These are the most important things for you to know, more than all of the little religious things that really stop people from being powerful and stop people who call themselves Christians from ever being anything more than someone who calls himself a Christian. Really getting that power from God and seeing God's power work in your life. You need to understand kingdom. I want to thank each and every one of you ladies for being here and listening to this podcast. I hope that it blessed your heart and I hope that you can walk out now with confidence and knowing that God loves you, that he has a purpose assigned to your life and he is dedicated to fulfilling his purpose for you. Make sure to follow me on my Instagram page, A Feminine Impression, and on my personal page, Dr. Michelle Daff. And also follow me on YouTube where you can get this content along with other wonderful videos that can help you in your life. I love you all and make sure that in everything you do, you make a feminine impression. Have a wonderful, blessed day. Bye-bye.